Good morning, Crosspoint. Well, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. And as you're turning there, I just wanted to highlight one more time how awesome VBS was. It was a great time. I am finally recovered. My glasses, as you could see, I was, I was rocking so hard, my glasses flew off. So they are now permanently crooked. Um, one of the things that I got to do in VBS is uh, there was this time where they had this video and it was, this, it was this awesome video. It was like a crescendo of like two people were about to battle it on. And then right as the battle's about to start, there was this ballet music that played. And I got to dance ballet right here in this stage in front of uh, 300 kids. I got to go up and down the aisle. It was amazing. I Just take my word for it. It was pretty darn good. It was, uh, it was not just socially acceptable, which in most places wouldn't be. It was celebrated. So I, I had a great week at VBS, and so we just wanted to say thank you guys so much for all your help, your support. Thank you for serving Jesus and his children the way you did. It was amazing to see, and we're just, we're all really grateful for the outcome. Well, turning your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4, we're excited to dive into, we're going to pinpoint uh, Jesus this morning, and if you would just indulge me for one second, my second son, Maddox, is homesick with a fever, and so Maddox, I know you're watching online, I love you buddy, please feel better, and we are going to dive into the scriptures. All right, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it says this. We're going to read one verse for right now. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, would you show us this morning the truth of your scripture, that you indeed are our great high priest, Lord, the significance of this passage will mean so much to us, and I pray, Lord, that we would be comforted, strengthened, challenged by your word this morning as we dive into this complex topic. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. By a show of hands, how many of you guys have a hobby? Just Okay, great. You're in good company. I'm not going to call you out, I promise. I have a hobby too. My hobby... Um, was, uh, I, w- I was kind of peer pressured into it, but I, I fully embraced it too. It, w- it wasn't that hard to peer pressure me into it. But just like Pastor Jim, I ride a bike, uh, like the people on the Tour de France. You know what I mean? Like this, the, the, the bike, the whole get up, like that's, I do that. And every time I get on the bike, I pretend in my mind that I am going to go ride like one of the Tour de France guys. I mean, I am into it. I go fast, I have the bottles, the helmet, it's, it's, a, it's a thing, right? It's a thing in my house. And I love every second of it. Now, one of the things that you have to do as a cyclist is you have to go up hills. And to me, that's my favorite part of all of it. I want to show you my favorite uphill climb um, in Malibu called Latigo Canyon. This is it right here. Okay, so it starts all the way at the ocean. Like, it starts at the bottom. Uh, You can't really much go lower. Uh, Maybe you can, but I don't want to. It starts at the ocean, and you go up this punishing seven-mile climb, which takes about an hour 
to go up, all uphill. It's so fun. It's so great. It's amazing. Um, now, w- one of the reasons I love to do this is because when you get to the top, you see this. I mean, come on, it's beautiful. The picture just doesn't do it justice. On a beautiful day, you can see, you can see it there, you can see the islands, you can see the roads, it's, you can see the houses, the greenery, it's just absolutely beautiful. What I wanna do today is take a uh, 50,000 foot view, well this is more like 5,000, so maybe not that high, but a 50,000 foot view of Jesus and what he looks like from the top view. Um, but in order for us to get there, we have to go through a painful 50-minute theology lesson. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we have to, though, we have to climb our way up the mountain to get to this beautiful view of Jesus. Jesus, for us, is the center point of our faith. And one of the things that brought this message about was what we did this week at VBS. This week, we talked all about Jesus. We talked about who he was, the work he did here on earth, and it was beautiful. Like, I'm constantly surrounded by the Bible, the word of Jesus, the name of Jesus, all of that stuff. But we just took a moment to pinpoint the beauty, the majesty, the, the wonderfulness of Jesus. And so I just wanted to take a Sunday to look at Jesus, and we're going to get to this view, I promise, of Jesus. But let's start up the mountain. The passage that we're looking at gives Jesus a title that, and an office that seems a little impersonal at face value. What's not really a term that you and I are familiar with. The term is that he is our great high priest. Now, what I want to do, it's an ambitious goal, but what I want to do is I want to connect the Old Testament and the New Testament to you. Because have you ever been in Bible class and someone says, ask you a question, and then you're just like the safe answer is just Jesus? You know, like, you don't, like who killed Goliath? Jesus. Well, like, okay, but David did it, but no, okay, Jesus is a safe answer. But I, what I want to actually do is not just blurt out Jesus, I want to show you the connection between the Old Testament and New Testament, and how Jesus is truly woven in and out the pages of scriptures. Now, Jesus is the message. The book of Hebrews is a book that expects readers to know the Old Testament. Now, there is this assumption that you'll be familiar with things like Levitical law, or who is a high priest, Or what sacrifices you're supposed to offer. Now my guess is you don't have Leviticus chapter 16 memorized when it comes to all the things that you're supposed to do on the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. Chances are if you're reading Leviticus 16, you're like, Lord, please make me a sacrifice if I have to read another sacrifice passage. But in this passage that we're going to read, there is this assumption that you know the Old Testament, or at least what he's talking about. So what I want to do is I want to kind of bring us up to speed, put some context on where we're at, and then we can dive into Hebrews chapter 5. In the book of Exodus, God gives us the moral law, the Ten Commandments. You guys are familiar with the Ten Commandments. 
And in the moral law, we see that there is something that can be, uh, the, the moral law can be broken. We can, what we call, sin against God. Now, God, because he is a holy God, because he's a just God, he has to punish wrongdoing. Um, God is holy, therefore he has to punish sin. Now that gives a barrier between God and man. And one of the things that the Old Testament gives as a way to bridge the gap is for people to sacrifice animals to atone for their sins. Specifically, on the Day of Atonement or on Yom Kippur every year, uh, that is what happens. Now, the person who does the sacrificing, do you know his name? It's the high priest. The high priest is that kind of person who sacrifices, who does that work between God and man. Now, in the Old Testament, I need you to understand this. This is a very high calling. It's a very big deal for someone to be a high priest. It's a high calling. It's a hard calling, but it's a necessary calling in the life of the Israelites. And a high priest is very important in, in, in what they do. Now, I, I need you to stick with me. We're, we're in the beginning stages of the climb. It's getting a little rough. The legs are starting to sing. You're probably asking yourself, what on earth does the high priest have to do with my life? I promise relevance and the grand view is coming. Now, one of the questions we can ask ourselves is what are the qualifications or what are the jobs of a high priest? And that's where we dive into our passage, Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to look at some of the things uh, the New Testament highlights from the Old Testament of what are the qualifications from the high priest. Verse 1, if you're taking notes. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of man in relation to God in order uh, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Turn with me to verse 4 really fast. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. The first qualifications that we see here in Hebrews that for someone to be a high priest is they must be chosen by God. They must be chosen by God. The role of high priest wasn't someone that was self-appointed. You couldn't just go up to the temple and say, I'm the man, I want to be the high priest. You couldn't do that. It had to come from the Lord himself as a calling. This is not self-appointed, and it's rooted in the Old Testament. Aaron was called by God to perform this duty, to perform this office. The qualification, the first and foremost thing, is you had to be chosen by God. You couldn't do it on your own. The second thing that a high priest had to do was bridge, uh, mediate between God and man. Mediate between God and man. Look with me again in verse 1 in chapter 5. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act or mediate on behalf of man in relation to God. So there is to be a bridge made between man and God. There is a big divide. That divide is called sin. And the high priest is supposed to bridge that gap. He closes the divide between heaven and earth. That's his job. That's what he does. The third thing he does is he offers gifts and sacrifices for sins. He offers gifts and sacrifices for sin. 
Verse 1, again, he says, uh, he's appointed to act in be- on behalf of man in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. Now, what was interesting is because um, they, were, they were man, just like you and I, they also had sin. So in order for them to perform the sacrifices that they needed to do, they had to be cleansed from their sin. Look with me in verse 3. It says, because he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sin, just as he does for those of the people. So the high priest, just like you and I, needed to be made clean, and he had to sacrifice for himself, but he also had to sacrifice for the people whom were under his care. This was especially true on the Day of Atonement, the day... Uh, Jewish people celebrate called Yom Kippur. All the sins of Israel were brought to the holies of holies and their sins were atoned for on that day. The fourth thing that we see that's a qualification or a job of one of the high priests is in verse two. It's to deal gently with wayward people. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weaknesses. The scripture says that a high priest was supposed to be someone who sympathized with his people, who cared and loved for his people. He wasn't just a high priest who sat in the office doing these functions. He was supposed to be with the people, caring for them, loving for them, seeing their needs, filling the gap. That was the duty of the high priest. Now, we're in the book of Hebrews. We're going to be at a few places in the book of Hebrews. But I want to make mention of, that, of one of the themes throughout all of the book of Hebrews. If you've not read it, please take, take a day or two to read it. It is a beautiful book that talks about Jesus. But one of the themes that the book of Hebrews gives is this. Jesus is better. We just sang about that, right? Jesus is better. Now, earlier on in the books, it talks about rest, how we need rest. God created a day of rest in the Sabbath, but it says that we find our rest in Jesus. Why? Because he is better. Here, we're looking at the high priest, and the high priests were an essential role in the life of Israel. But guess what? We're going to look at what Jesus does. Now, maybe we need to ask the question, does Jesus fulfill the office of high priest? And the answer is yes, but better. If you look with me at these four points that we just looked at, we're going to look at Jesus in light of those four points. So the first one, Jesus is the great high priest. Have you ever driven down the street and um, there's like two stores side by side and they have those like signs that are outside or maybe one of those people like twirling the, the signs, you know what I'm talking about? And some of them are really enthusiastic and some, some are just like that. You know what I mean? You're, so like imagine one said, uh, we have a cell, right? The next one says, uh, we have a super cell. Like which one are you going to go to? Well, the super cell You're not just going to waste your time or money on the cell. You're going to go to the supercell, right? Here, there is a word put in front of the high priest in verse 14, and it's the great high priest. 
that word is meant to elevate what Jesus is as our high priest. Now, let me tell you, it's way better than the sale or the super sale. The great high priest adds so much significance to what Jesus done. He is our great high priest. Now, the first thing we see in our notes is that a high priest has to be chosen by God. Look with me in verse 4. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Verse 5. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him, or by God, who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So, qualification one checked off. He was chosen by God. Although he had every right because he was God, to make that role himself, he was appointed by God because he wanted to fulfill the qualifications that a high priest needed to fulfill, except better. He was chosen for this. He was created for this. God said, you are my son. I have begotten you. You are a priest forever. This is one of the roles of Jesus as our great high priest. The second thing we see is that Jesus is our mediator. Now, there's a familiar passage I want to read to you in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. By the way, this is all throughout the book of Hebrews, but it says this. There is one God, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Jesus came as the person to bridge the gap between God and between man. He is the mediator. So, if we're looking at the qualifications, one, chosen by God, check. Number two, he becomes the mediator or the person who's supposed to, who's appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. That is what Jesus does. The third thing, and this is kind of the crowning jewel example. This is a beautiful example of how Jesus is our high priest. Number three, if you're taking notes, Jesus sacrifices by offering himself as the perfect sacrifice for sins. Jesus sacrifices by offering himself as the perfect sacrifice for sins. Now, here's the truth of the scriptures. Jesus lived a sinless life, and because he lived a sinless life, he is the perfect sacrifice. By the way, his perfect sinless life wasn't uh, just perfect because he also was God in the flesh. It's because he obeyed God, and he was able to do that. Now look with me verse, back in verse 3 one more time. Because of this, he was obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sin, just as he does for those of the people. So the high priest wasn't perfect. Jesus was perfect. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, two pages over in your Bible. And I want you to read this longer passage. We're, we're at the middle of the climb now. It's getting a little bit difficult, but stay with me. Stay tuned in because this passage is beautiful. Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 1, it says this, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, 
Instead of the true forms of this reality, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect for those who draw near. What he's saying here is that the sacrifices that were committed every year on Yom Kippur couldn't make anyone perfect. Verse 2, otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since they worship having once be cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in this, these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. We were reminded of that. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written in the scroll of the book. So Jesus has commanded to do this. Verse 8, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offering and burnt offering and sin offering. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Look with me here in verse 10. This is, this is the crux of the matter. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for the time until his enemies should be made his footstools by his feet. Here's what this is saying. What this is saying is a high priest was supposed to make sacrifices for you so that you could be made right with God for one year for a temporary time. This is saying Jesus was offered as the one-time sacrifice once and for all. No longer did we need to sacrifice the way the Old Testament showed us that we need to sacrifice. Not only did he perform that, he was that. He gave himself as the ultimate sacrifice. Not only does he perform the duties of a high priest, he became the offering that the high priest is supposed to give. Do you see the significance of what Jesus is doing here? Do you see the, the tying of the Old Testament and the New Testament? That Jesus would be the fulfillment of all of this. Turn with me back to Hebrews chapter 5, a few pages to your left. The fourth thing so first thing, check, chosen by God. Second, he's our mediator. He sacrifices for us, but he is better and offers himself as a sacrifice. Check, fourth thing, Jesus deals gently with ignorant and wayward people at his own expense. At his own expense. Look with me in verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Look at verse 9. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God 
a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. If we look back to the book of Exodus, the moral law, we are guilty of our sin. That means we are punishable because of our sin. And God could have dealt harshly with us and it would have been fair. But how did he choose to do so? He died for us. He offered himself as a sacrifice. You and I, we all like sheep have gone astray. We are wayward. He brings us back in by dying for us, by offering himself and performing his duties as the great high priest. We're three-fourths up the way, up the climb. We're almost there. We're almost to the top. Now, one of the questions I want to ask is, what is our outcome of Jesus being our great high priest? Because the gospel message is this. He died on the cross for us. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead to offer us a new life. He ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God. And guess what? He's not done being our high priest. He's not done. He's still performing his duties. We are at the top. We have summited the climb. Now we're going to take in all the beauty. Here are the four things I want to share with you on the outcome of Jesus being our great high priest. The first thing is he sympathizes and helps us in our weakness. He sympathizes and helps us in our weakness. Go with me back to chapter 4, right where the verse started, and it says this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Have you ever been in a car crash? They're frightening, right? They're terrible. Car crashes are the worst. Now, if you've ever been in your first car crash, the odds are the person you want to call right away is not a 16-year-old who just got his license, (laughs) right? They're going to be just as freaked out as you are. The person you want to call is someone who's been in maybe three or four accidents. God forbid anyone is in that many accidents. But when you call them, what are you going to get? Are you okay? It's going to be okay. What do I do? My car is total. It's okay. You're safe. Take some pictures. Get their insurance. Do you need medical? That's... Why? Because they are able to sympathize with your momentary weakness. In that same way, Jesus doesn't come to us as this God in the sky who is unable to know what we're going through. No, he came as a human being in flesh. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to feel the pain of a loss of a friend. He knows what it's like to be insecure. He knows what it's like to fill in the blank with whatever you're going through. He can sympathize with our weakness. So the God of heaven and earth is right there in our suffering, in all that we go through. 
These are the duties that he's performing as our great high priest. The second thing we see is we now have bold access to the Father. Look with me in verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. No longer do we have to approach timidly with bulls and goats and sacrifices, sprinkling that blood on the mercy seat so that we can approach the holies of holies to be made right. No longer do we have to do that. Of every moment of every day, we have bold access to the Father. You can pray to him. You can call upon his name. He is there the way a loving father is there. I imagine it, it's like a, like, Imagine the president having kids, uh, but like little ones. If, if you and I were to approach the president, there's a protocol, right? We probably should be dressed up. You probably shouldn't just go in your sandals. You could, but you're probably going to get frowned upon. You should be dressed up. Then you have to have clearance. You have to get a background check. You have to do all of that. And then you get there and you have to go through 25 metal detectors, I assume. I've never been to the White House. And then you have to go through Secret Service and it's this whole hoopla. Guess what the president kids get to do? They get to wake up and they get to run into mommy and daddy's room. That's the access we have. What no one else has, we have confidently with God. We get to approach the Father boldly. Here's what Jesus did. He closed the gap between heaven and earth. And now we get to have confidence to come to the Father. I hope this changes your prayer life. I hope this changes everything about the way you communicate or see our Heavenly Father. He is our mediator. The third thing we see is we receive constant mercy and grace. Look with me at the end of verse 14 again. Uh, Verse 16. We draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and and find grace to help in the time of need. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Boy, don't we thank Jesus for that. Grace is getting the gifts we don't deserve. Boy, don't we thank Jesus for that. At every moment of every day, no matter what we go through, no matter our continual faults, we have mercy and grace extended to us always because Jesus, the high priest, made it available so we receive constant mercy and grace no matter what we are going through. And the fourth thing is we have constant prayer from Jesus Christ himself. We have constant prayer from Christ himself. Now, that might seem like maybe a little insignificant, but Jesus, who's sitting at the right hand of God, is praying for you all the time. That means verses like nothing can separate us from God find so much more meaning when there is an active, not an old dead high priest, an active high priest doing that day to day, moment by moment, hour by hour. He's praying for us. Now, we're about to go down the mountain but we got to take one last like panorama, maybe a selfie with, with, with the backdrop. And I want to read one last passage of scripture that kind of to- ties all this in a bow for us. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 18. 
and explains all of what Jesus has done, all that he's doing, and it reminds us that he's praying for us. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 18, it says this, For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. So notice Jesus is the forever high priest. And remember the theme of the book of Hebrews when we look at verse 22. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Jesus is better. The former priests were many in number because they, prevent, they were prevented by death from continuing in the office, but he holds his priesthood permanently. This priest is not going away because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost to those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Our great high priest who saves to the outermost is praying for us. Verse 26. For indeed it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his sins and to those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in the weakness as the high priest, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is our great high priest. Now the significance of this isn't so that you could go to work and say, Here's why we don't have sacrifices anymore. Although it would be cool to just share that with somebody. The purpose of this is that we would know our great high priest and daily we would interact with the beauty, the person, and the work of Jesus. He's not done. He's not passive. He's not sitting in the right hand of God in glory just enjoying himself and having a vacation. No, he's still performing these things for us. He offered himself as a sacrifice for us. He is the sacrifice for us. He is praying for us. He is with us. I pray and hope that this changes everything about how you see Jesus, how you pray to Jesus, my hope and prayer is that this brings such confidence to our faith that nothing stands in the gap between you and God because Jesus, our great high priest, is still performing what he said he will do. He's our high priest forever. Amen? Let's pray together.